Speaking of this Jesus, listen to this. The Bible says this, and the word became flesh. That's how John chapter 1, verse 14 begins. That's where we are tonight. No further, just one verse, verse 14, loaded with significance. And the word, well, who is the word? We know that the word is Jesus, the son of God, but we shouldn't take it for granted. He's introduced, as you recall, at the beginning of this gospel, uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say, in the beginning, that is, in the beginning of all things before we were, before the world was, in the beginning, in eternity past, was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He and now we find that the word is not a concept, an abstraction. We find out that the word is a person. He was in the beginning with God. And now in verse 14, we're making some progress. We're in verse 14. We're told that this pre-existent word became always he was. But he who was before time became. And the word, that's Jesus, became flesh. And so we're finding out that he was not, in eternity past, this Jesus was not flesh. In his time before he became flesh, he was, but he was not then flesh. In other words, he became whom he was not. That's what the incarnation is all about. He did not cease to be who he was, but he became whom he was not. Is that pretty clear? I'm telling you, that's exactly what happened. Look, look. he was infinite. He became finite. That's my point. He was invisible. He became visible. Uh, and Jesus becoming flesh, that's what we call the incarnation. Have you heard about that? The incarnation, it means the act of becoming flesh. I don't want to be disrespectful, but do you know the phrase chili con carne, Spanish chili con carne? Chili with meat. It comes from the same Latin root, incarnation. Uh, this Jesus who was spirit before time, infinite, unbounded by flesh, invisible, he became enfleshed. He became incarnate. And in the incarnation, this is quite interesting. The incarnation is more about addition than subtraction. So to the Lord's divine nature in the incarnation, he added human nature. This is not my opinion. This is what it says in many places, not the least of which is Philippians chapter 2. I'd like to read it to you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. Listen, Paul says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, he was pre-existent deity. Paul repeats what we read at the beginning of, 
the beginning of John's gospel, this Jesus is God, who although he existed in the form, the essential nature of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not lay hold of his divine privileges and standing. He was willing to set them aside. And so it says he emptied himself. Now that sounds like subtraction, does it? doesn't it? But wait, how did he empty himself? This is quite interesting. He emptied himself taking on the form of a bondservant. So can you see what, what I mean when I say the incarnation is really more about addition than subtraction? He sort of emptied himself, but by, 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 not, by not freeing himself of his divine nature, he added to it Human nature, well, he didn't just become a man. It says right here in Philippians, he came in the likeness of a bond servant. Infinite, transcendent, pre-existent, uh, invisible, God became enfleshed. Meat came to be put on his bones. And he didn't come as a commanding general or someone of notoriety, part of an elite group. He came as a bond servant. And so in the incarnation, you see, Jesus added complete humanity to his complete divinity with one exception. Do you know what it is? Would you like to just yell it out? Jesus added complete humanity to his complete divinity with the exception of one thing which is characteristic of humanity. What is that thing? You got it. He was sinless. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and now these words, yet without sin. Jesus, fully God, was fully human with the exception uh, of sin. He was the sinless one who came to die for sinful ones. Folks, the incarnation is one of those truths that clearly distinguishes Christianity from all other faith claims, religions, cults, and religious expressions. There are other things, but the incarnation is something unique to biblical Christianity. The pre-incarnate word, God himself, through whom the world was created, became a creature. You cannot find that in Judaism. You can't find it in Buddhism. You can't find it in Islam. You can't find it in secular humanism. You can't find it anywhere else. This is a distinct truth claim of biblical Christianity, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, Almighty God came to establish a point of contact with us. In other religious groups, you have to strive to figure out how to access deity. In this case, deity condescended and so reduced himself that we could find him easily if we so choose. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the Old Testament, the point of contact between God and man was something called the tabernacle in the wilderness, later the temple. 
the tabernacle, a tent, God's tent. God said, I'll meet with you here. This is the point of contact between me and you on earth, the tabernacle. And so in the Old Testament, the point of contact between man and God was a place. But now we're finding out in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the point of contact between God and man is no longer a place. It's a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, it reads, and pitched his tent among us. Literally, it says, he tabernacled amongst us. Now listen, if the Lord Jesus came and set himself up in a restricted, gated community, if the Lord Jesus came and set up a fortress-like uh, abode with electrified uh, fences and guard dogs, we would find out something about him immediately, and that is he really doesn't want too much to do with us. He's not anxious to permit us access to him. But the fact that he came so as to pitch his tent among us tells us anyone who wishes to have contact with him could find him easily. He came in the most accessible way. He did not construct a fortress with walls around it. He came as God's tent among us. So the text says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as a result, we saw his glory. What kind? Well, it was glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Folks, in the incarnation we see God. We need not speculate about the nature of deity any longer. Who God is is no longer subject to my opinion nor yours, for Jesus is the full expression of the otherwise unseen deity. In the incarnation, in Jesus, we see God. We see his glory. and We see that he is full of grace and truth. So it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, and he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, the Father's glory, and the exact representation of his nature. Isn't God good? He hasn't left his identity subject to the speculation of philosophers and those who uh, render educated guesses. He said, if you want to see the Father, look to me. I reveal his glory. I am full of his grace and his truth. Someone said Jesus came to serve as a kind of visual aid for us. When you want to know about the character of God, what is he like, look to Jesus and look no further. And so the text says we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father. Those two words, only begotten. It means one of a kind. Do you know Jesus is the Son of God in a way none of us are sons or daughters of God? He's the unique Son of God uh, in this sense. We can be, through the new birth, considered sons and daughters of God, but he, in his essential nature, in his oneness with the Father, is the Son of God. In other words, this Jesus, though he became fully man, really has no equal among men. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I'm taking this phrase by phrase because it could facilitate memorizing this verse. 
This is a key verse. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace, that's what forgives. Truth, that's what reveals. In the enfleshed, embodied, visible, incarnate Christ, there's perfect redemption. That's God's grace. And in this self-same Christ, there is perfect revelation. That is God's truth. Grace is the very opposite of merit. Grace is an emanation of God's character revealed in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Grace has nothing to do with what we do. Grace, God's favor, is simply something which is a function of his gracious character. And truth, truth is what's revealed in Jesus Christ. Both grace and truth are really, really, really fully revealed to us on the cross that the enfleshed Jesus Christ was impaled on. On the cross, we see truth, we sin, and an almighty and holy God is offended by our unholinesses. We have to give account. There's a debt uh, that must be payment, for we are lawbreakers. That's truth. I'm conceived in sin, so are you. I'm not inherently good, in spite of what the world is telling me, to puff up my flesh. There is no good thing in me, nor in you. We are inclined, because of our inherited sin nature, to sin against Almighty God. That's the truth. He doesn't grant on a curve. He didn't give us 10 suggestions. He gave us 10 commandments. We are considered by him, not disadvantaged, unfortunate people. We're considered to be lawless lawbreakers. That's truth. We see that on the cross, but there's grace. And the grace is, though there's a penalty due because of your violation of my laws, says Almighty God, I love you too much. Uh, for you to pay it for yourself. So I've sent my own son, Jesus, to take the place for you. Grace and truth mingle together in the crucified body of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, on, the, on the cross. Earlier you discussed, and thank you for doing that, why did Jesus have to come? My guess is you came upon this in your exchange. He came as man to die for men and women. Uh, that was necessary. You see, how could God, who is eternal, who has no beginning nor end, how could the all-sufficient one, whose being is not contingent on anyone else, how could God, by definition, die? He could only die if he becomes incarnate, if he becomes man. And that's the premier reason why Jesus came to be in and fleshed so as to die for one such as you and I. Why, why, why? You see, he's full of grace and truth. What a grand message is this message of the uh, Lord Jesus Christ and his grace and truth. We've been saved by it. Now we're commissioned to share it. That's our role. That's why we're still here. Did you know that? In the midst of this very, very challenging day when we're gasping for air, trying to figure out what we could do to make things better, don't lose sight of our primary occupation. It is to represent the Lord Jesus 
and his grace and truth. That's our goal. I was sharing with some of our wonderful people earlier about one week before my mother passed and went home to heaven. She told me, I suspect soon the Lord will be calling me home. About one week before. I said to her, Mom, how do you know this? She said, well, because I'm losing my voice. And that's my primary reason why I'm still here, to tell people about Jesus. When I come to the point and I can no longer talk to them about Jesus, then I know my time is up, said she, and the Lord will take me home. Well, sure enough, she lost her voice, and a week later, boom, ushered into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I want to tell you something that has nothing to do with the lesson, but I just want to do it because I'm like a grandpa, and so, you know, we tell you tell stories about your grandkids, whether it fits or not. So, so my son and daughter-in-law were explaining to my grandson, he's four, and granddaughter, she's three, that, uh, uh, that my mother had, had passed. And, you know, that's a little tricky to try to find the words to explain to young ones. And, and uh, so, so, so my kids did it in the best way they could. And then my grandson, Samuel, he's a prayer he loves to pray, and he really prays, seriously. So he said, I would like to pray. And this is what he prayed. He said, dear God, thank you for Bubba. That's what they called uh, my mother, Bubba. And uh, why, I don't know, but that's the way it is. So God, I, I thank you for Bubba. And she, this is what he's praying. She's with you now, um, but, and I, wa I want you to look for her but you may not find her because she no longer has her walker. That's what he's praying. And he's saying, she likes to dance. She's dancing, but she doesn't need her walker anymore. So look for her without her walker. She's with you now, but I know she doesn't have her walker because everything is perfect in heaven. That's a four-year-old. That's some good theology. <laughs> That's some good theology. Right there, I'm telling you, even a four-year-old realizes that because of the enfleshed Jesus Christ who came for the sole purpose of suffering and dying in our place on a cross, we could be assured of eternal life in a place that is characterized by blissful perfection. And until we get there, that is our destiny. Till we get there, our role here is to tell others as we have opportunity about the Lord Jesus. Now, to facilitate this in my own life, I tried to come up with something. I've shared this with you in prior weeks. Forgive me for repeating it, but I wanted to kind of drum it in. I wanted to come up with a conversation starter that could get me into conversation with people about the Lord Jesus. Starting the conversation, I find for me, perhaps for you as well, is the most difficult thing. Once we get rolling, we're okay, but how do you get someone in conversation? So I just came up with 40 words. I counted them, nothing magical about it. It just happened to be 40 words. And, uh, and so I memorized these words I've shared with you, and I've, I've used this as an opportunity to broach the subject about the, the enfleshed Lord Jesus Christ who reveals the glory of the otherwise unseen Father and who is full of grace and truth. And this is how I started. In fact, we'll show you the words. Here they are on the screen. Some of you asked me, they said, stop talking so much and put it on the screen. So here you go. Uh, so so, so I, I've, I'm working on memorizing it. I say, I say to people, hey, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I don't ask them, can I tell you? Because they may say no. So I just 
go for it. I say, hey, let me tell you about the greatest thing that happened to me. It is when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. Boom, look how easy it is. Now, what can you do after that? You can say things like, what do you think? <laughs> what about you? Have you discovered this great news? But you can go in a million directions. That's not the issue. Most of us can handle things at that point, but getting started is a difficult thing. I'm telling you, I've tried this out. I've field tested it, <laughs> and it works. Let me tell you about the greatest. I know you're busy, and so am I. I got to go. You got to go. But first, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I'm telling you, you have people's attention because they think you want to tell them about winning the lottery or something like that. No, this is better. Let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It's when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. I know that's not all the story and it's not the complete theology of the Bible. That's not the point. It's just to get conversation started. I have shared with you in prior weeks some of the opportunities I've had I've, to do this. I've asked you to pray for me that I would have eyes to see the opportunities God readily gives, and I told you I would pray that for you as well. And then I invited you, if you uh, have the opportunity to share your faith in Christ with others, would you let me know? So I got an email uh, this week from Bud LeCompte. There's, where's Bud? Bud right there. Bud, do you mind standing up uh, just for a second? Come here for just for a second. I, I'm embarrassing Doug. I just want uh, you to see who I'm talking about. So turn around. That's Bud right there. See, he's wearing a Harley Davidson shirt. Why? Because he's like a biker guy. That kind of deal. And for a long time, but he's on Facebook, Bud is, and he talks to people about motorcycles and stuff like that. But then something gripped him, and he decided, I think I can use Facebook for something else. Did I get that right, Bud? Oh, thank you, brother. God bless you. And, and this is what Bud did on his Facebook page. I asked him for permission to share this with you. And here's, here's what Bud put on Facebook. Let me tell you about the most incredible thing that has ever happened to me. July 7th, 1991, exactly 25 years ago today, my life changed. Uh, it was the day I changed forever. I was living in Austin, Texas at the time. The previous weeks and months leading up to that day was a time of soul-searching for me. I was spinning my wheels and not going anywhere. I began to ask myself those eternal questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? I think we've all been there. Though some introspective investigation, through some introspective investigation and some reading, I began to look for answers. Throughout my search, I kept coming back to the topic of God and the name Jesus Christ. I began to understand that I couldn't do life by myself. I needed help. I began to investigate the concept of Jesus saves. I had heard about how if I put my trust and my faith in him and if I asked for forgiveness for all the rotten things I had done, he would forgive me. And then uh, Bud puts down 1 John 1.19. And he has lots of verses here. And then he says, read it. <laughs> he says, look it up. I had no problem with that whatsoever. It made sense to me. I began to understand, but not completely, the sacrifice Jesus made for me, how he willingly hung on the cross and died, how his sinless life and his shed blood was enough to satisfy the Father's desire to forgive the sins of man. I had heard about a prayer that went something like this. Dear God, I know I messed up. Please forgive me. 
for my sins. Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. Please come into my life and save me. In the few days leading up to July 7th, 1991, while alone in my apartment, I stepped out in faith, and with all the sincerity I could muster up, I prayed a very similar prayer, probably three or four times. Then on July 7th, it was a Sunday around 12.30 p.m., just as a lot of folks were probably leaving their church houses, again, alone in my apartment, I was thinking about that prayer, and a thought popped into my mind. That thought was, Jesus forgives me. At that very moment, it was as if Jesus reached out of eternity and cupped my heart in his hands. I knew it was him. I felt my sins being washed away. It was my moment of belief. And Bud adds verses of scripture like Romans 10.9 to his personal experience. He said, I knew I had been forgiven. I knew I had been saved from death and hell. I cried like a baby for at least 15 minutes. At that very moment, God had expressed his love for me. It was hard to grasp, but Jesus had shown me grace and mercy. It was something I didn't deserve, but was nonetheless so grateful for. He gave me a new heart, and he gave me his spirit. In a split second, he made me a new man. He made me a son. It was my second birth. It had nothing to do with any moral or ethical behavior on my part. It had nothing to do with religion or any set of do's and don'ts or any kind of self-help or some higher plane of awareness. I didn't just wake up that day and decide to call myself a Christian. God did all the work. All I had to do was put my trust in him and ask. It was that easy. Since that day, I have never wavered or questioned that moment. I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, I still struggle from time to time, but I know Jesus is always with me. He's given me peace, hope, joy, love in my heart, a hunger for the Word of God, and a desire to live my life as an ambassador for Christ. I have the assurance of knowing that when I die, I will spend eternity with Christ. Fantastic. God bless you, brother. I know the heart of uh, Bud LeCombe. Would you pray that God would do something with that uh, blurb on Facebook? Would you pray that it would be so used of God, people's hearts are stirred up to want to know more? To argue? Sure, Bud can handle it. To dispute? No problem. He's not threatened. Or to say, I too need what you found in Jesus Christ. Would you pray that God would take a mere man's words on this goofy social media thing <laughs> and make use of it to save some. He could do it. I offered that because what Bud did challenged me. He sat down and he thought, oh God, how could I tell people that you, Lord Jesus, are full of grace and truth? How could I tell them that the invisible God came near, Emmanuel, God with us? How could I tell them that we don't have to reach up to heaven, climbing a ladder of works to access you because you condescended and became like one of us. No, even below us. You became a bond servant so as to reveal the invisible God to us. And you did it because God cannot die, but the God-man can, would, did in our place on the cross. Folks, I want to challenge you. Not much makes sense today. But this does, we're to be salt and light still here, piercing the darkness by telling people 
of Jesus. He is the light of the world. And you know what happens? It's quite amazing. When you share your faith with someone, regardless of their response, it could be accepting or rejecting, it doesn't matter. Your convictions deepen. It's quite an exhilarating experience when you leave a transaction, a conversation in which you had an opportunity. You've taken the opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. You walk away. It's inexplicable. You have joy. You have joy. It's, it's indescribable. It's not material. It's not even rational. There's something about it. It's a spiritual pleasure to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, don't be the silent uh, church. We can't afford to be. There are all kinds of voices out there beckoning for attention. Do you mind me telling you? They don't know what they're talking about. But we do. We're not better, but we have been enlightened. We've seen Jesus to be the light of the world. And I want to tell you something. If there was any other way for people to be saved, do you think the father would have subjected his son to the incarnation? When he assumed the human condition, he made himself liable to hunger and thirst and fatigue and torture and rejection and uh, ultimately death crucifixion. Do you think if there was any other way, the Father would have sent his Son to die for us? Jesus is the only way. Since he is the only way, folks, we should unashamedly go about. We don't have to be obnoxious and weird and all the rest. Just a little thing. Let me tell you about the greatest... Listen to me. Don't you believe that Jesus is the greatest thing that ever happened to you? But I don't have to persuade you about it. Listen, if we have a heart for God, why don't we have a mouth too? That goes along with it. Stop worrying about what people think. The people whose thoughts you're concerned about don't have good thoughts about anything. They're dark in their, in their understanding. They're concerned about bathrooms today. That's not important. They're concerned about global warning, warming. Come on. That's not the deal. Folks, folks. It's about where we stand with Almighty God. In an instant, Bud's status with Almighty God was changed by the blood of the Lamb and his acceptance of it. In an instant. Folks, Christians live life differently and die differently. I told you when my mother passed on, it was with peace, no distress, no groaning, no mystery, no fear, no despair. One breath, boom. And she was ushered into the presence of Almighty God. Don't you want that to be the destiny of other people as well? For some reason, God has entrusted that message not to angels but to us. I don't know that why. I think angels could do a better job than Bud LeCop. <laughs> He's no angel. But God said, no, my son. You are my representative on earth. You are my ambassador. I love you. I'm entrusting to you the ministry of reconciliation. Go through the world. Beg people. Be reconciled to God. So I want to challenge you folks to memorize those 40 words or something like it and then say, oh God, give me eyes to see the person with whom I could have conversation about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I close with a story by someone named Brett Blair, who writes, Long ago there ruled in Persia a wise and good king. He loved his people, and therefore he wanted to know how they lived. He wanted to know about their hardships. 
Often he dressed in the clothes of a working man or a beggar, and he went to the homes of the poor. No one whom he visited thought that he was their ruler. One time he visited a very poor man who lived in a cellar. He ate the coarse food the poor man ate, and he he spoke cheerful and kind words to him, and then he left. Later he visited the poor man again and disclosed his identity by saying, I am your king. The king thought the man would surely ask for some gift or favor, but surprisingly, he didn't. Instead, he said, you left your palace and your glory to visit me in this dark and dreary place. You ate the coarse food I ate. You brought gladness to my heart. To others, you have given your rich gifts. To me, you have given yourself. John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus gave us the best he could. It's himself. Earlier today, uh, Brother Chuck and Brother Embry and I had the privilege of visiting the home of a family in the church whose son uh, received a very serious cancer diagnosis, relatively young man, and we went to lay hands on him, pray for him. And uh, he doesn't look healthy. (laughs) He looks like his body is already being affected by cancer. (sighs) You're tempted to say, why, God? Why? Young man, parents standing by, they'd be willing to change positions with their son in a second, wouldn't you? We have all these questions. And it's almost as if you could hear God say, oh, you're missing it. You're missing it. I could give you all these gifts that have a shelf life. I can give you health and wealth, all these things, the span of which really ends when this life ends. Uh, Or I could give you myself. So that even in times of impoverishment of a material kind, even in times of um, affliction of a medical kind, Even times of loss and challenge and struggle like that, I want you to know that you can forfeit your healthfulness and your stock portfolio and all the rest and your jobs and so on. I gave you what you can never forfeit. I gave you me. You have me now, no matter what. You will have me because I have laid hold of you and will never let you go. You have me on into eternity. I think Jesus says you make a demarcation between the two, between this life and that life. But I tell you, eternal life is to know me. Do you know me now? Welcome to the essence of eternal life. For you, it's a sharp departure, this life to the next. But I think Jesus says, not for me. (laughs) It's just one further step in the right direction. You're on the continuum of holding hands with me. I'll not let you go even when your grasp gets a little weak, whether it be through physical illness or emotional travail or even doubts or fears. Uh, Jesus says, I'll not let you go. You're in my hands, and I am in the Father's hand. You're doubly secure. Oh, yeah, I can give you all these things you yearn for. I can give you health and wealth. These are not uh, bad things to seek and to pray for. But I really, really want to guarantee you, no, not necessarily health and wealth. I want to guarantee you what's best for you. I'm best for you. I've demonstrated my willingness to do all it takes to have communion and contact with you. 
I let go of my divine privileges. I came to earth so ex to experience the throes of life. You cannot tell me I don't understand what you're going through because I mostly went through it myself. <laughs> you can't tell me I'm a distant high priest. I'm one acquainted with grief. I've been rejected by my own. Perhaps you have as well. I've been mistreated. I have been unjustifiably accused. I have wept. I know everything about you. I've done everything I could to give you what's best. I'm the best for you. Everything else you're clinging to are things you can lose. But when you cling to me, you're on safe ground. For I will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, uh, folks, we're not guaranteed tomorrow here. What happened to this wonderful family and what they're dealing with now could befall any of us. And worse, we cry, we weep, we mourn. And that's acceptable and permissible. As long as we're crying and weeping and mourning to the one who will not let us go. Jesus says, you, you can forfeit all things. Everything that is visible, by everything you see by definition has a shelf life. <laughs> it's temporal. It's the things you cannot yet see which are of eternal value. That's what you can never forfeit, not the least of which is me. You've established a relationship with me here. I made it happen. I took the initiative. I pitched myself amongst you like a tent. No walls, no barriers. Charge in. <laughs> I'm waiting for you with open arms. And that relationship established here, that introduction to me, which I hope you're pursuing now, that's exactly what you're going to be doing in eternity. You see what I mean? Um, uh, folks, w w we grieve, we hurt, but not as ones without hope. I can forfeit bodily healthfulness and all manner of painful things could befall us. We Christians are not immune. But who, not what, who I need most, I will never lose. I will never forfeit the one who's come with words of eternal life. I will never forfeit a relationship with the one who reveals to me the essence of the otherwise unseen God. This Jesus who is full of grace and truth will never let me go. No one can lose his grasp on me, not even myself. <laughs> I cannot run like the hound of heaven. He will not let me go. He purchased me, you, with quite a price. He has an investment in our lives, and his sole purpose is for us to enjoy him forever and tell other people they can too. Folks, we're safe and secure in the most unsafe and insecure world situation imaginable. What a time for us to be revealing to people what it is to be held by the Lord Jesus Christ when everything else is surprising and shocking and striking and out of control. What we need most, we cannot, we cannot forfeit. Like the poor beggar in the story who said, I'm not going to ask you, O king, for certain material gifts, though I could, and you may not withhold them from me. I'm satisfied with you. Uh, folks, have you found your satisfaction with the Lord Jesus Christ? Nothing else can satisfy like he satisfies. Could I ask you to stand 
to your feet. We're going to take leave of one another, but I want us to do something before we go. First, I want to invite you who uh, would like to pray with somebody when we take leave of one another. In the back is a what we call, it's a beautiful room called the Connection Center. There'll be people there who will pray with you. Maybe you have questions about this Jesus. Maybe why questions. Maybe if God is good, why am I going through what I'm going through? No holds barred. You can ask them whatever you'd like. That's in the Connection Center back there. I invite you before you leave. If something is on your mind. Go back there. Unburden yourself. Buddy up with a friend. Pray uh, together. And here's what I would like to do as we take leave of one another. I want to give you a chance to practice. So can you turn to somebody? No, I'll tell you what. I'll make it more comfortable. I will say to you what I would like for you to repeat back to me. Let's do it that way. Are you ready? Let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It is when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. I challenge you to go tell at least one person this week that message and then say to them, what about you? What do you think? The Lord Jesus may use you to lead someone into the forever kingdom. Wouldn't that justify your existence here on earth? God bless you. Go in peace as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. You are dismissed.